this morning is kind of a unique Sunday. It's, it's a brand new year, right? Who's excited for a brand new year? A couple of you. If you're on Facebook, how many of you saw posts like this this week? Oh, I'm glad 2014's over. 2015's going to be great. I'm glad you're excited about a fresh start. I'm glad you're excited about something new. God loves stuff that's new. Do you know that? In fact, that's what, that's what the New Testament and the gospel is all about, is about making us new. He loves new stuff. In heaven, everything will be constantly, completely, all the time, made new. And uh, so it's, it's fitting for us then as we begin a new year uh, to, to think about what God might have for us in this coming year. It's kind of a unique week because we're in between. We wrapped up for a time, at least, our series through the life and ministry of Jesus last Sunday. And uh, next Sunday, we begin a new series as we uh, uh, discover some stuff that will actually piggyback off some things we talk about today. And so it's just kind of an in-between message, and I've, I've been racking my brain. We were in Iowa for much of the week, visiting my family, celebrating Christmas with my mom and uh, my brothers and their families, and got back Friday. And uh, throughout the week, I've been thinking about it, and literally spent from about 11, 10.30, 11 o'clock yesterday until about 11.30, 12 o'clock yesterday, um, just, just praying and thinking, God, what would you have me share tomorrow? I, I, I just, it was one of those weeks where I didn't have a whole lot of clarity on where to go and realized, you know what? It, it may just be good for me to share my heart. And uh, not, that, not that I don't do that regularly anyway, but, but really rather than plow through a passage of scripture this morning, just let me share my heart as a pastor to you, the church that God's given me to lead. And... Um, I thought about that as a new year comes, as things begin new, what, what would I love to have new in my own life or in maybe more specifically the life of our church in the coming year? And I started thinking, you know, what, what type of church do I want to be a part of? This sounds really self-serving and selfish, doesn't it? Maybe it is. I don't know. But what kind of church would I really want to be a part of? If I'm going to give my life to this as a pastor... What am I working towards? What am I giving my life to? Why? What's the point? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And I'm going to share uh, things about a church I, I want to be a part of. Um, and, and things I believe that, that God would have his church be. And even this church be. And uh, so we're going to do that. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to look at uh, a couple things about the nature of the church in general. So we're working from... The same base, and then uh, we'll go from there. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and uh, thanks for your grace to us through him. Thanks for the privilege to be part of of your people, of your church. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray you might work in a a unique way today. I pray that you would um, speak to me and through me uh, as as we look at your word and as I... Uh, share vision and, and things from my heart that I believe you've put on my heart and uh, that I've given my life to and uh, that, that hopefully others would be called to as well. I pray against the enemy. Um, Father, we're coming out of a season where uh, many people, I can read it on people's faces, just looking out this morning, have had maybe a rough couple weeks with the holidays. Um, they're down. And uh, I pray instead this morning you give them hope. I pray that... Um, 
you'd remove uh, any spirit of 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 uh, discouragement or bitterness or whatever is going on, and instead you'd give us joy in Jesus Christ, because we really are your people. Your word's true, and, and the things we sang about this morning should should ring great and incredible joy into our hearts. And uh, so teach us from your word. I pray against the enemy that he wouldn't take your word and twist it and use it to accuse us. But instead, Holy Spirit, work freely and change us. Change me. I look forward to a good morning. And I pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So, the church I want to be a part of. Let's start with this. If we're going to go into talking about... Uh, what kind of a church we want to be a part of, we should really probably start with a definition of what is a local church? What is a local church? You know, um, a lot of church, church leaders and pastors of even huge churches, if you would talk to them, few of them could give you a succinct definition of what is the church. It's almost like it's just assumed that people understand what a local church is. That, that you just, oh, it's a... What are some things when you hear people talk about the church? What do they say? The church is, we'll talk about some of these. Oh, it's a, it's a group of people. Oh, it's a building. It's a place. It's a, it's a kind of a social club sort of thing. It's what is the church? What is, how does the Bible describe, how does God describe the church? Literally from about uh, the mid-200s A.D. until uh, the time of the Reformation, there was almost nothing of substance written about the doctrine or the nature of the church. It was just assumed that people understood what it was. So, so let's just put this definition on the table. I've used this before, and I think it's helpful. Um, but we'll start like this. The local church is a community of regenerated believers. This is from uh, uh, Professor Gary Brashears. He's at, a, I believe, Western Seminary. And Mark Driscoll in a, in a couple of books that they've written together. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership. They gather regularly for preaching and worship. They observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion. They're unified by the Spirit. They're disciplined for holiness. And they scatter to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. You got it? Who who can repeat that to me now? You've got it down. Really succinct, easy definition, right? Yeah, I mean, you think about that, that's, that's pretty all-encompassing. Well, there's a few things that stand out here. First off, the, the local church is a group of regenerated believers. That's number one. It's, it's people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. There, there's, uh, let's just be honest, there's, there's pseudo-churches out there that, that are churches by name only sometimes where, where there's people who aren't regenerated believers of Jesus Christ. The local church is wherever the the group of people who have trusted Jesus Christ are located. We'll see here in a moment in the book of Acts that that wherever they were gathered together, Paul called that a church. And Luke called that a church. And God calls that a church. Wherever the, the believers are gathered together. So it's regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Notice too, in obedience to scripture, they obey scripture. God's word is central to them in a handful of ways. One, they organize under qualified leadership, the leadership that God lays out in, in specifically in First and Second Timothy and in Titus. 
Um, they observe biblical sacraments, the baptism and communion. They gather regularly to, to hear God's word taught and to worship. They're unified by the Holy Spirit. Uh, they discipline themselves for holiness to become like Jesus. They, they scatter. They're not just gathered, but they're scattered more often, actually, than they're gathered to, to reach other people with the gospel and to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, now that's a, a, a definition of a church, but a lot of times if we hear somebody describe, you know, we ask somebody on the street, what's a church? You're going to get a whole lot of things that the church actually is not. So what are some things that the church is not? Well, first off, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. Now, some of the reason there's some confusion on what the church is is because the word that's used for church in the New Testament, ecclesia, is, is actually a word that means gathering. It means a group of people, a gathering of people. And when that was translated, long story short, when that was translated eventually into English as church, it also referred to a place, not just a gathering. And so oftentimes in our culture and our language, when we hear church, we think of a building, we think of a place. But in God's word, the church is, is not a building. In fact, that word, ecclesia, in the, in the Bible is never used to refer to a building, ever, ever. There's never a place called a church that's referring to the place and not the people in the Bible. Number two, the church is not a single denomination. It's not. It's not a single denomination. now, Now, you might get into denominations where they think that, but that's not the truth, right? There are believers who are, who are Lutheran, who are Catholic, who are, uh, who are Baptist, who are part of the Evangelical Free Church like we are. I think there's even likely believers who are part of, of, of cults and uh, churches like the Church of, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, who maybe are caught up into that, but they've still uh, trusted Jesus Christ. They're regenerated, but they're caught up into a system that's actually uh, unbiblical and, and, and hurting them and harming them. I don't think that's the norm by any way. But, but the church is not limited to one denomination. It's not like just one denomination or one specific local church has a monopoly on everybody who gets to heaven. Okay? Number three, the church is not a business. The church is not a business. It's not. Um, there, there are ways in which we're recognized by the government in a way that's similar to a business. There's things about the way the church functions in North America that makes it similar to business because we we bring in finances, we pay staff, we have uh, different expenditures, different things we have to care for, and and we have to care for those things in a financially responsible manner. But the church is not a business. We're not about providing goods and services to people. We're about honoring Jesus Christ, right? Number four, the church is not a country club. It's not just a place to come out and have a lot of friends. Is that part of it? Do you you hopefully have some good friends in the church? Yeah, I hope so. But if that's the only reason you show up is for some kind of social benefit, um, one, that's going to be, that's changing rapidly in our culture anyway. There's less and less of a social benefit to being part of a church. And two, that's not what the church is. It's not a social club. It's not a country club. Along those same lines, number five, the church is not here to... The church doesn't exist, maybe is a better way to say, to meet your needs. That's not the purpose of the church. 
The church, again, similar to like saying it's not a business, it's not here just to, to meet out goods and services to you, to, to, to give you everything that you need and you want. And if you're looking for a church and you're trying to find a church based on, well, what do I get out of it? What do I get? You're being like a consumer who decides which supermarket to buy their groceries from. What do I get from that? Or which, what do I get? What reward do I get from using this card over this card? And that's not the point of the church. It's not here to meet your needs, right? I mean, will it? Hopefully in many ways, hopefully God through the church will, but that's not the purpose of the church. And finally, number six, there's more than just these six. These are just some that I wrote down. The church is not your ticket to heaven. It's not a dispenser of grace. Being part of the church does not ensure that you're redeemed. You can be in the church, you can spend your lifetime in church and still wake up in hell after the day you die if you, haven't, if you are not in Christ. So what is the church? Then? Well, we defined it already and we talked about a few things that it's not, but before we talk a little bit about this idea of the church we want to be a part of, let's take a look at the early church. Take a look at the early church. If you've got a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 42. Now, leading up to this, Acts chapter 2 happened on the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, the church was born. It's when uh, God's Holy Spirit comes, descends upon his people, upon his followers. Um, Thousands, literally over 3,000 people become Christians on that day. The early church, the very first church was an instant megachurch. 3,000 people in the city. And then it goes on to describe how they began living together. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, pro- the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, I want to look at a couple things here that stand out to me about the early church. First thing you need to understand is that this passage is is a descriptive passage. It's not a prescriptive passage. What does that mean? It means that it describes the church in that day. It doesn't prescribe exactly how our church ought to function. It's a description of the early church. It's a description of how they lived. It's, it's not normative, but it is informative for us to learn from it. We can pull principles out of this for how our church ought to function. Some, I believe, make the mistake of saying, of looking at this and reading this and and trying to say, well, every church then ought to be just like this. We ought to just sell everything. We ought to give everything away. We ought to all live together in a commune and sing kumbaya, and it'll be great. But, but that's, not, that's not what the point of the passage is. Luke is describing the early church. He's not prescribing how we ought to function. So, and, and I say that because in, in, in all of Scripture, God... He gives qualifications for different things and, and how uh, 
an, an overarching kind of big picture view of how the church ought to function, but he doesn't dial down into the details. He doesn't get into the nitty gritty of how the church, each individual church ought to work and function. Why? Did he leave something out? Did he make a mistake? No. He did it so that every church can function according to the gifting of, of its people, according to the culture that it's planted in, according to the time that it, that it exists in, uh, under these broad guidelines and qualifications. So, so here's some principles, and I, I think you might even just say priorities then of the early church that, um, that, that ought to be priorities and, and principles we, we lead our church by. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to teaching. They were devoted to biblical teaching, to learning. It says later in verse 46, day by day they were attending the temple. These people were committed. They were devoted to learning more and more and more and more and more about God's word. Maybe you've seen it said this way on the back of your bulletin. A fully devoted follower is someone who learns continually. Learning about Jesus from his word and learning to become like him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only this, but, but they were committed not just to teaching, but to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and prayers. It talks about it there in verse 40, 42 and then also later in 44. They, all who believed were together. They, they had all things in common. In other words, they had fellowship with one another. They had friendship. They had relationship with each other. They, they loved each other selflessly. What's curious that you're going to see is that the five traits we describe of a fully devoted follower are kind of the five priorities you see of the early church here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Verse 44 through 45, they had all things in common. And not only this, but you get to verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They, they didn't just love each other selflessly, but they gave generously to one another. Generously. Now, if you've been around long enough, you know that we used to say that gives sacrificially. But we changed it to gives generously because then it's more of an act of the heart rather than an act of guilt. Of, of being generous. I, I want to give. Not only this, but look at the way they worshiped and praised God. Verse 42 says they, they devoted themselves to the teaching and fellowship. And you get to verse 46 and 47. Day by day they attended the temple together. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They worshiped passionately. And not only this, but the, they, they lived missionally because daily God was adding people to their number. People who are being saved. Not people coming from other churches, but people meeting Jesus Christ. And those five priorities of, of a fully devoted follower, and I believe of a church, that we learn continually, worship passionately, love selflessly, give generously, live missionally. You see that in the early church. And, and it makes me ask, okay, so do we see those things in our church? We talk about them a lot. We put them on the wall. We put them on the bulletin. We print them. We put them on the website. But do we really live those things out? And so 
Let me just share a little bit. This will be a little different, obviously, than normal, but just, just from my heart. What kind of church do I and do I hope you want to be a part of? These are in no particular order. These are just things I gleaned from this passage and others that talk about the church and others in the New Testament, especially the letters. One, I want to be part of a generous church. And I believe I am, especially financially. This church is incredibly generous. You've been incredibly generous to me, incredibly generous to our other staff, incredibly generous to our ministries. Thank you for that. And, and, and God's grace has been incredibly abundant through your generosity. So thank you. And, and I want to be a part of a church that's generous with, financially generous with, with their time, generous with their talent, that, that's always willing to step up and serve, always wanting to get involved, always wanting to love other people. That's the kind of church I believe God is most honored by. Notice the early church, they, 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 received, they received with glad and generous hearts. Now, another thing, I want to be a part of a church that's known for loving people. It's known for loving people. You know, at the end of the service, every, every week we say, you are loved. We got it on some of those cups out there. You can grab one on your way out or you can buy one. Or if you're a guest, you can just have one. It's on our website. It's all over the place. But, but I really want our church to be known as a church that loves people. Why? Because Jesus loved people selflessly to the point that, that, he, that he gave himself on the cross for that. Now, listen, as I say some of these things, that this is the church I want to be a part of, I'm not saying... I'm not like just bring the hammer down, so be that kind of church, because that's not who, I'm not saying that at all. Many of these things, we, God, by, God, by God's grace, we're growing in these things, and, and many of these things do describe us. So don't hear it that way. Hear this as an encouragement to, to be these types of people, to be this type of church, a generous church, and a church that loves people. You know, if you turn to Matthew chapter 22, um, the, the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they're going to trick him and they ask him, um, hey, what's the most important command in all of the Bible? In all the Old Testament, what, what is the most important command that God gives? I mean, they had 613 commands that they had derived from the Old Testament. And Jesus says, well, well, the most important is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, close behind, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And as you fulfill these two, if you do just those two commands, you fulfill all the rest. You'll fulfill all 613 if you just do those two, if you love God and love people. I want to be a church that's known for loving people. That when somebody hears you are loved, they think, well, obviously Bible. It's a place they, they love people. And not only that they love people, they're generous with people. They're generous to people. Um. The third one, again, these are no particular order. I want to be part of a missional church. I want to, I want to be part of a church that, that gets up in the morning and sees itself wherever it is, wherever it's going, that it's sent, that it's a missionary, that every individual, wherever you go during the week, you are a missionary of Jesus Christ to that place. Do you teach at school? Are you a student at school? You work in a factory. What do you do? God has sent you there to stand alongside or sit alongside people that no one else in the world does. 
on a day-in, day-out basis. Why? Because you're sent to them to bring the gospel to them. Jesus said that. He even praised that in John 17, that, Father, just as you have sent me into the world, so I send them. Loved ones, get it out of your head that a missionary is somebody in Africa, uh, you know, with a loincloth around their waist, hanging out with a bunch of people in the, the Sahara Desert. You know, it's not the case. I don't know. I'm just coming up with random stuff. That's not a missionary is anybody who's sent by Jesus Christ on mission. And that is you. That is you. I want to be a part of a church that's missional that sees itself that way. You know, one of the things that we did this fall was to accomplish this. We really totally simplified our schedule and our calendar as a church. We pulled things out of the middle of the week that would compete with the opportunity maybe for you to be involved in the community during the week. Or uh, some of you have kids who are involved in things on Wednesday nights and it was starting to compete with stuff with the church. And um, boy, is, is it best for us just to huddle or is it better for us to be sent? And part of the reason we pulled those things out of the middle of the week is so that you would see yourself hopefully as sent. And now here's a greater opportunity for me, not just to push church back to Sunday, but to be the church in the middle of the week. To interact with the, the parents of the friends, kids' friends, and, and the people I can come in contact with. To serve in the community somewhere. Um, to be involved in the community. For, for me, this hasn't happened near as much this fall as I had hoped it would. Uh, just with everything going on with my dad and with my family. We've been traveling a lot, but, but that's my heart. That's my goal. Isn't it? Not just for our church, but as an individual. To get plugged in in that way, serving in our community. Another thing along the same lines, I want to be part of a simple church. Here's what I mean by that. I want to be part of a church that isn't so over-programmed that there's no time to live the Christian life. Instead, you just do it. I go to church on Sunday, and then I come back to church on Sunday night, and then I go to Bible study on Monday, and then I go to small group on Tuesday, and then I go to kids ministry on Wednesday, and then I, I go serve at the soup kitchen on Thursday, and then on Friday, well, Friday is my day off, but then on Saturday I come and I, I get stuff cleaned up at the church for Sunday, and then Sunday I go and I come to church. You're like, that, that's obnoxious. There's no time to live life. There's no time to be a follower of Jesus Christ who's sent into the world because you're constantly doing the life of a Christian in the church. I want to be part of a church that's simple. That's why we don't program things during the week anymore. Yeah, once in a while we have some things, but not on a regular, ongoing, week-in, week-out basis, especially in the evenings. That's why. So so that you can, can live the Christian life outside of these walls. I want to be part of a of a church of small groups, of, of dynamic small groups where where I have friends. You know, one of the things when I was doing student ministry, the, one of our goals was always, and, and really when we saw the most growth was, I want kids to be here and I, I don't want just them to be here. I want them to be here and that their friends are here. Like that their closest friends are part of our ministry. At least one or two of them. And that they learn to live life together in that context and that they're bringing their friends because their friends are there. And you know what I mean? And my desire for you is that if you're part of our church, that that your best friends are in the church and part of our church. And if they're not, that you're bringing them to be part of our church. 
And that you can be part of a small group where, where you can dive deeper into one another's life. Um, th- this is another thing, just a casualty of things this fall for me personally. We, we had plans really to pour into our, our 110 group leaders this fall, and it just didn't happen. But uh, Dan and I have been brainstorming some things. Pastor Dan's helping me a lot with this. And if you lead a 110 group, you can expect to hear from us soon. Um, give us a couple weeks, but you'll be hearing from us soon. And, and we're putting together some resources and, and things that we just want to encourage you and help you and pour into you so that, that you can, can lead your group and, and help people know Jesus more and more. Another thing, I want to be a part of a church that, these are just things I jotted down. I want to be part of a church that worships with excitement. That worships with excitement. And, and when I say worships here, I'm, I'm specifically thinking of musical worship. I just am. That, that it's exciting. That there's joy. That, that it's not, I was an orphan lost at the fall. Mm, yeah, I guess I was. Okay. Running away. Yep, that was me. When I hear you call. Yeah. <laughs> I need to be honest with you. Okay. Some of you need to let your face know what's going on in your heart. You just do. There, there's joy in singing those things and in knowing those things. That's the most incredible truth in, in all of human history. That you and I were orphans, that we were lost, that we were separated from God, that we were incredibly, incredibly messed up. And so deserving of God's wrath. In fact, Ephesians 2 says we were objects of his wrath. We, we, were, we were on the other end of the punch from God. And yet, what did he do? He worked his will to where even in spite of our sin, he sent his son to die on the cross for us so that he would reach down, grab us, change us, make us new. So that you're no longer an object of God's wrath, but you're an object of his grace. You're actually his child. That's unbelievable. I want, I want to be a church that, where there's excitement in, in that. Where that's expressed. I want to be a church that knows how to have fun. You're like, hey, I like that one. I, I do. We're, where we take God very seriously, but not each other. Where we can laugh at each other. Where we can get together and have joy. Some people think churches has to be stuffy and, and sit really quiet and don't make a noise. And When I read about God I, and I, I see Jesus' life, I, I see a, a God who's full of joy. Who's, who's full of passion, who's full of love. Even Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount where he uses humor sometimes in the way that, that he preaches. We be part of a church full of problem solvers, not problem finders. You a problem solver or a problem finder? Now, generally speaking, everybody's a problem finder to some degree or another, right? It's really easy for all of us, myself included, to point out the problems. Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's messed up. We screwed that up. But somebody needs to fix that. You know what's rare? A problem solver. And that's the second step after being a problem finder. They actually do something about it. I want to be part of that type of a church. Full of problem solvers. That I want to be part of a, of a growing and changing church.
Because as things grow, they change. Now, it's not easy, though, when things change, is it? Mom, when you're a cute little toddler boy who couldn't pronounce his R's, started growing up, and uh, now he's getting bigger and stronger, and now maybe he's bigger than you, and maybe he's a little mouthy to you even. Probably not, though, right? Maybe just a little. And he heads off to college, and now he's out of the house. And is that easy to watch that change? No. But what's the alternative? That he stays three for 20 years and never grows? If he's never changing, he's not growing, is he? What's the same for a church? If we're not changing, we're not growing. Healthy, growing things by nature change. I want to be a part of a church that's growing and changing. You know, we've said it this way in the past, no sacred cows. No sacred cows. I want to be a part of a church where there's unity, where people do ministry and pull the same direction. I think on the screen I put it, a church of ministers, where everybody's doing ministry. Where there's a passion to serve God and to love other people. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Where it's not I come to church to do church and get things and no, but we're forget about Sunday. During the week, I'm loving and caring and reaching out to people. As a pastor, there's a very small number of you that I can interact with personally on a weekly basis. Just like there is for you. But if everybody is doing that, guess what? The whole church is being cared for. And God's receiving glory and Jesus is being honored. And where we're pulling the same direction. A couple more and then we'll close. I want to be a part of a church that loves God's word. And I believe we do. Where where his word is taught, where it's studied, where it's honored. um, Where it has full and final authority in everything. Not what what I say, not what the board says, not what Joe Schmo's opinion is. But what does God's word say about this? And that that's our final authority. Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's learning continually from God's word. Three more. I want to be part of a praying church. I want to be part of a praying church. There's so many of you who who faithfully pray for me, for our church, for, for God's kingdom. Thank you. I want to do better, though, at really making that intentional in my own life and in the life of our church by um, having people who pray on a Sunday morning for the service, who pray throughout the week for individuals, who who walk through the facility and pray for things going it, where prayer becomes a much more intentional focus of our church this year. Finally, I want to be part of a church that has Jesus at the center of everything. I think I said three more things. I meant two. I can't count. I'll be a church, part of a church where people can count. No, I'll be part of a church where Jesus is at the center of everything. Where in everything, we're always pointing people to Jesus. When I screw up, when you screw up, when, when things happen, that it's always, okay, but here's Jesus. We need to make a beeline to him, to the cross. He's the one who changes. He's the one who makes us new. Ultimately, it's his church. 
share these things with you because it's a new year. And it brings new opportunity to, to, for whatever reason, there's just something we love about putting away the old, don't we? And, and starting fresh and starting new. And, and so what is it for you? Maybe this would be a year where you get involved in a new way in ministry in the church. And I don't want you to think when I say get involved in ministry that you're thinking like, okay, in a program of the church. That's not what I mean. I mean in being God's people. That might be in a program, but it might just be in your day-to-day, everyday life, right? And what we're going to do starting next Sunday is, is we're going to start a series called Discovering Your Shape. And we're going to be in it for a, for a few weeks. We're not talking about your waistline. We're not talking, you know, discovering your shape specifically for ministry. And we're going to talk about a handful of things. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts, that everybody who's trusted Jesus Christ has at least a gift, if not many gifts. We're going to talk about, it's an acronym in case you wonder, we're going to talk about H, your heart. What are the things you are passionate about? You're passionate about things that I'm not. I'm passionate about things that you're not. Guess what? God knows that. And he's given you some of those passions and some of those things that you, you have a heart for and people even that you have a heart for on purpose. That shapes who you are. Not only this, but your abilities. You have spiritual gifts, you have, you have passions, you also have abilities. So, some of you are incredible artists. Some of you are incredible musicians. Some of you are incredible accountants. You're, you're like a ninja on Excel. I mean, you're really good with numbers. Some of, some of you are just, you have a great ability uh, to just love and care for people. Uh, what are your abilities? Your personality shapes who you are too. Your personality does. I'm an introvert. You may not know that if you don't know me because I'm up here talking all the time on Sunday mornings. But if I had a choice between standing here talking and uh, sitting in a coffee shop with, with a book or something like that, I'd be in the coffee shop all day long. Just I, I'm an introvert. I get, I get energized by being alone or with a smaller group of people. That's who I am. What's your personality like? That God uses that in your unique mix to shape you for his glory to serve and love other people. And then also your experiences. Each of us have experiences that we've gone through, been through, will experience. God doesn't waste those things. He uses them for, for his glory and for your good and for others' joy, if you'd let him. So we're going to be talking about those five things over the next uh, two to three months leading up to Easter. And, and I would encourage you then, as we start this new year, that you think about that. Where would God then, based on my shape, where would he have me serve? Where would he have me fit in? You know, you think of the little kid's toy with the, the square block and the round block and the triangle block, and it fits in the hole. Where's the hole you fit in uniquely that God has shaped you for? Because he has. He has. Tell you what, I'm going to pray. We're going to take our offering. We're going to sing. And uh, we'll call it a morning and start a new year. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And uh, thanks for your grace to us through him. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Um, we deserve your wrath. We deserve uh, punishment for our sin. But instead, miraculously, you, you show kindness to us. 
and, and you show mercy to us and grace to us. Thank you. Thank you, too, that, that you uniquely have made me and shaped me um, unlike anyone else. There, there's, there's no one else like me. There's no one else like each individual in here. And the ways you've gifted us and uh, the personalities you've given us, the, the abilities, the experiences, all those things. And you do that because you're a God who's incredibly creative, who's in, in, incredibly uh, kind and generous. And you, you desire them. You've shaped us for, for a reason we serve. And so give us joy and passion as we find those places to serve and uh, honor you and love others and, and just get joy. Father, I pray that for our church this year, that it would be a year full of joy and of people plugging in and serving. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.